Hello and welcome to Jonesing for Justice, your fix for legal news, information, and entertainment. This is Jackie Jones. I'm Connor Wigginton. And Dan DeCino. We are so excited to be here today for yet another exciting mm-hmm. episode. And today we discuss pedophile priests. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now, before we get started on that, let's give a brief update. Uh, on our last podcast, we talked about Michael Cohen, his guilty plea, and being sentenced to three years in prison. And now, yet another Trump administration employee uh, is going to be sentenced. I believe that is Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn. So it seems as if we can't go another day without a Trump employee being sentenced for crimes against the country. What's that terminology, Jackie? Time's up? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go with drain the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> So, let's start off with this topic. Dan, I know you did a little research. What did you find? Uh, So, apparently, there are several uh, groups of Jesuits around the country who, on their own initiative, have released several names of priests who they call credibly accused of sexual misconduct since the 1950s. So far, we have the groups responsible for the west central and southern provinces releasing names with the northeast province which covers new jersey to maine coming out next month the one that covers pa to georgia has also released the names of all of the accused priests credibly accused sexually abusing children since the 50s Uh, in our area it looks like there are five living three of whom were forced to leave the order and five who have died uh, so far, I believe none of them have actually been convicted. It's actually a guy who died in federal prison I read about when I was seeing that 80 na- 89 names have been released. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 89 names. All of, with more to come. More to come. Uh, I guess, well, first off, I went to Georgetown, which is a Jesuit school, so thanks, Jesuits, for releasing those names. But I guess I have to say, disgusting, right? <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. It's, uh... Certainly not good, and there's so many cases where priests will be removed from practicing in in the priesthood, but you have so many of these cases where it's not going to go into a courtroom. There's not going to be a conviction. And on that note, uh, the USA Today reports that even though a PA grand, grand jury found over 300 priests abused victims over the last three decades... All but two of them are past the statute of limitations, effectively meaning prosecution can't really happen to them. Of course, the church could punish them. So you say past the statute of limitations, and Dan obviously has done some research. Connor and I just uh, do like two minutes of research, and we just talk and say what we think, right, usually? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much how these things go. So I, I guess for me... Uh, statute of limitations and whether or not there should be one for sexual abuse of children has been a hot-button topic lately, uh, with some people saying that when a child is abused, they should not be stuck with an arbitrary statute of limitations wherein they have to report, because many of them are too traumatized, especially when the abuser says things like, if you tell, I'll kill your family, or you'll be hurt, or your mommy or daddy will, you know, be in trouble. So, Or just the fact that this is supposedly a man of God, which means that people think they'll go to hell, um, if they tell. Well, just the authority <laughs> aspect of it, too. You're told by your parents to listen to this person, your community. You're told by other adults that you look up to. And then, obviously, they abuse the trust. But now you essentially have to, as a kid, convince your whole community that the person everyone respects is lying. 
Now, if you ask me my personal opinion, obviously what happened recently shows we don't need statutes of limitations for these kinds of cases because they cover it up for decades. Now, you can say that, okay, we're going to catch a couple of them, but really the idea here is not just to stop this from happening, which is part of it, but we need to get justice for the people who have grown up. I mean, some of these happened during the 70s and 80s, some of them during the 19th. There are people who have lived their whole lives without justice. I mean, how are you supposed to grow and be... Every, like, imagine as a child, everything you believe in, everyone you're told to listen to is a lie to you, and then there's no justice for 50 years. Well, my mother was a little different than other parents. My mother was one of those, if anyone touches you, they, you know, you tell me. I don't care if it's grandpa, your dad. Like, my mother would name the people who are closest to me. Like, I don't care. I hurt your daddy if it's him. My father, of course, would never do anything like that. He's... Oh, but your point's taken, but, but, yeah. But, point but my taken. mother was very much like, I don't want you to think there is anyone that is more important than you coming to me if you're being hurt. Uh, I mean, I was told the same thing by my mom. Like, she said, anybody, if anybody, a stranger, someone you know, aunt, uncle, like you said, um, thank God it never happened to me, but... Yeah. Well, I come from a very Catholic background, as some people may know. Um, Catholic Connor. Yes, Catholic Irish Connor. Yeah, very, very Catholic. Uh... I was in Catholic school my entire life for over 20 years. So that that's just where I'm that coming from. That includes that university and law school you went yep. to. Catholic, very Catholic. From 1995 to 2017, oh I was gosh, in Catholic school. Oh, gosh, I forgot how young he was on. This, this one's born in 92. I mean, <laughs> for the other adults here, let's just... Did you notice how every single podcast Connor mentions how incredibly young he is? No. I mean, he does it every time. Just saying. I'm, I'm about 10 years away from legally being middle-aged, so I can't be that young. You're not. Unless you guys die really young, you're, you're really not. I don't know. But life expectancy is decreasing. That's a whole other issue. And meanwhile, my great-aunt just passed away at 106 years old last month. In fact, her birthday would have been... God bless. Next week, she would have been 107. I know. Good genes. Good genes. Yeah, my grandfather's 90. and <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll uh, guess we'll see what happens to everybody here. But I, for one, don't think I will ever have or come close to those genes. <laughs> but going back to the Catholic Church, um, I was an altar boy. Uh, I was an altar boy for, for five years, and a common practice in the Catholic Church is you go to confession and you tell a priest all the terrible things that you've done or think that you've done and apparently the priest forgives you and acts as God. There was this one case where I did go into confession and I was very upset based upon what I thought I did. The priest saw this. Uh, he comforted me in a time of me being very weak, me being very emotionally vulnerable. He wanted to be my spiritual ad advisor. That's what he told me. He then built a relationship up with my parents. Hmm. He got their trust. He then started going to dinner with me. He then started to want to go on trips. Just the first couple of trips were in the area. Second couple of trips, they were in different states. Um, he then told my parents he wanted to go on an overnight trip. Before this could come to actually happen... An investigation happened with this priest. Now, who was who led the investigation, Connor? Um, it was really the district attorneys. Wow. In various counties. Um, and it was really in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. So I think that covers Philadelphia County, Bucks County, Mon Montgomery County. 
and this really came to light towards the end of the first decade of the 2000s. Um, but, lo and behold, this priest was one of four who was completely re removed, but what's important is that this priest was one of the first four. There have wow. been priests who have been removed from ministry. There have been priests who, you know, have been quote-unquote fired, but this was one of the first four. But it's very concerning. Well, um, Connor, uh, you said he formed a friendship with your parents, mm -hmm. um, which is a big red flag for us now. Because now we know that these people who make themselves out to be close to your family, so your family trusts them, so that they can have access to children, uh, we just don't know how close you came to being a victim. Yeah, and, and it, well, it got to the point where my family in, was inviting him over to, like, Christmas. Wow. Where he would be drinking Jameson in our family room. Um, and he really manipulated that card um and it's almost like with a lot of these cases based upon what what i read based upon what happened to me and i'm not saying that i'm a victim in this nothing sexually happened to me but i don't know if i was on that road based upon him being removed immediately but it's the whole terminology of a frog in, in water that slowly gets boiled wow. you, you don't know what's happening and sometimes it gets to be too late, but a lot of these cases, Jackie, a lot of these cases, Dan, those are the types of circumstances that lead to these types of things happening. So this is the point where we're usually giggling and making jokes, but I find I can't even do that. It, it's so scary. Yeah. Um, and it really goes out to the people who are actually victims, people who are nine. Yeah. People wow. who are eight who don't know any better, and you're raised, especially in the Catholic faith, if you go to Catholic school at a young age, if you go to church, you're raised to trust these people because these, these people are representatives of God. You know what? That's interesting because uh, Dan and I are Protestants. Um, you know, I grew up Baptist and Methodist, and it's a little different. We always looked at Catholics as sort of worshiping saints and man, right? Because we're always taught that you are supposed to have a direct relationship to God. Jesus is your intercessor between you and God. Right. No there one is else. no intermediate. It's like we're just here to <laughs> right. make sure you can find. We don't, you right. know, you go we, find him yourself, though. And it's like you look at Catholics, they have this whole hierarchy. Right. They have it. And it's kind of somewhat, not, you know, I'm not talking bad about it. Like, you look at it, they have a hierarchy that we don't have in ours. So we look at it and we're like, wow, that's... That's kind of, at, at first glance, you're like, wow, they all fall into that hierarchy and right. go for it, but it obviously. It feels cool at one point, but then, I mean, as, as our theology evolves, we get to the point where we're like, nobody steps between me and God. It's me and Jesus. Me and Jesus, I say. Well, it's, <laughs> it's funny you say that. My girlfriend is actually Catholic, and mm -hmm. we were talking, just having a conversation the other day, and she goes, oh, yes. I'm like, that's not how it happened in the Bible. She goes to church every Sunday. You know they have different Bibles than us? And they, well, yeah, but... 
she got it wrong, even if you look in her in right. the Catholic Bible. It's like, I got, have you ever even read this thing? Which Did is you? just, which is obviously she goes every week. She's into her religion. But, she's a good but Catholic. Remember, but remember, though, just a different point of view. Protestants also are taught to read and check for yourself. Like, well, I I don't know about you. At Sunday school, they told like, here's how you look up stuff in the that's Bible. That's right. We had class. I don't know if you guys Catholics do this. We used to have contests, and it's like you know Malachi three five. You get so quick. Yeah. And you're like you, get a piece you of read candy the verse, or a right? chocolate or I something. I won those all the time. I was like, you know, I could sing the the whole. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, <laughs> Judge. I mean, this is a little embarrassing that I still kind of can sing that the Bible verses. I, I can't still sing it, but that's not... <laughs> I can still look stuff up, but I can't sing the song Boldly anymore. Boldly look it up and sing it in my head. We had a whole class dedicated that was actually part of my grade until senior year of high school. Of course you did. We of had course. an entire class that went towards your grade point average. So when I was planning to go to Georgetown for law and graduate school, I was working at this store, I think, that no longer exists, and these nuns came in, and I was, at that point, working with watches, like, changing the batteries and stuff. I I mean, that was one summer. Uh, And the woman was asking about me, and I was telling her I was about to go off to Georgetown, and she says, oh, are you Catholic? And I said, no. She's like, we let other people in now, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very generous of her. (laughs) I still don't know how many people of Villanova know I wasn't a Catholic. It's not something I really went out of my way to tell people. But, but Dan, <laughs> you're Italian. I know. It's I still we yeah, still don't lie. Aren't most Italians Catholic? I'm pretty sure everyone but me. Everyone I'm pretty but, sure I'm the only one. What about your parents? Uh, my mom's half cat or half Italian, and she's the one that converted. So she was born Catholic, but not anymore. See what happens when they mix with the others. That's what Dan Dan actually tells us he's Italian so many times a day. Um, We had Italian, right? The fact that we ran out of room on the tally board. I I erased the tally. I erased the tally. Um, First and foremost, we all know that I'm part Italian by way of having gone there and stayed in an apartment several times in a villa. Um, Therefore, I'm now Italian. And um, my children actually are thinking of retiring there. One of them said she's going to go and be a surgeon. I was like, I've been saying we should move to Italy. Been saying it. I have that conversation with my dad all the time. We should really move back there. All of our families there and they work a lot less than we do. Hmm. You know, I did spend a lot of time in cafes when I was in Italy, or um, down in the in the second kitchen downstairs in our villa, second looking out kitchen. over the uh, olive groves. Yeah, there were two yeah. kitchens. Yeah, of course, I don't know. I know. Of course, there's two kitchens. <laughs> I don't know. What if you have people over? You're gonna need more room. Right. They also have designated business hours where they work for a little bit in the morning, but then don't they take like a three-hour break designated well, for here's the problem. nap time? And we don't really work I hear things have been either. changing now because of the way the economy's going and that people <laughs> actually don't get the full, you know, little break that they used to. So it's, it's, it's bad. My family's rural. None of that stuff affects us. They're still living like it's 100 years ago. Huh. So, back to the pedophile priest. And this is how we get off topic every single time. So, I hear the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, the Diocese of Pittsburgh, the Diocese of Allentown, Harrisburg, and Scranton. You have to say Scranton like that. Scranton. Have each announced a reparation program to compensate survivors of child sexual abuse. Well, even going along with that, the Jesuits at the regional level have been issuing not just... Uh, reports that, of who's been incredibly accused. They've been issuing apologies to the victims, to their, to even other Catholic members who are Catholics who aren't victims for abusing the trust. I mean, it obviously it's the, the terrible part is the action they do. Mm-hmm. But now, kind of moving away from that is not only are they doing it, they seem to be getting away with it without really any kind of public 
acknowledgement until recently. And I think that's a step in the right direction, that they're, that they're apologizing and setting up, like you said, a reparation program. Well, what bothers me the most, and I know probably a significant amount of people might feel this way too, but at least in Catholic Masses, um, there's a point during the Mass where the collection box goes around and people put money, whether it's a couple of singles, an actual checkout to the church, and knowing that your money was more likely than not used for the legal defense of some mm-hmm. Catholic church. and uh, You mean some pedophile priest in the Catholic church? Yep. Yeah. And that's really bothersome. Um, you know, I feel like there's people starving in other countries, but, you know. And in this country. in this country. <laughs> you know. And, but the money you put well, go towards that. Well, I hear that eight states have no statute of limitations for civil child sexual abuse cases, meaning the ability to sue. Seven states have enacted a window legislation, basically a two-year period to allow victims previously barred from filing suits to actually file a lawsuit now. Now, is that two years from them reporting it? Well, no. This is two years from now. So because so many people were barred from reporting for all these years, they're saying we're changing it so that from this point forward, you have two years to get your suit, get started. So basically to anybody out there who might be in this situation, go report now. Right. Now I'm going to go and say something kind of defense lawyerly, uh, which is going to offend some people, but I'm a defense attorney too, so I'm going to do it. I'm already triggered. (laughs) Connor's triggered. Well, I'm going to trigger you some more. Now, here's the issue when it comes to changing statute of limitations. As a defense firm, and we do a lot of defense, we had to prepare defenses for people who have been accused, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, right? Now, here's the issue. If someone is accused of childhood sexual abuse and the person says, I'll never forget, I was eight years old, and this, 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 and this happened, right? Well, that person who's been charged finds themselves without the ability to have any alibi. Because who remembers what happens when this other person was 8 years old? So let's say it is 20 years later, 30 years later, 50 years later. Like, wait a second, I'm pretty sure that for the month of, it was August, and I remember because that's when they always had the so-and-so festival. And you're like, no, back in August, I used to always go to my family's house in California, so it couldn't have been me. Well, but... that even plays <laughs> into the whole issue of memory in general. I mean, we all, yeah. we all love eyewitness testimony and memory, and most of our memories, everybody, if you ask them, is your memory good? Of course my memory, I remember it. But not, we don't. I mean, we, 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 that's a whole other issue, but we know there's not. So now you have cases going back 30, 40, 50 years. Not only are you asking people, that's people who are children to remember, who right. face a traumatic ability. You're asking right. you know, a priest remember something that happened maybe 50 years ago. You know, you're going to get not necessarily, I think, the, the full and accurate report on each one of these cases. Right. Now, if we're talking ongoing sexual abuse, yeah, there's enough that we remember. Oh, you remember. Yeah. But. Let's say, for instance, there's a one-time incident or an interpretation of one-time incident or, you know, the, the worst-case scenario that someone lies, which, you know, that's what all the, all the people... Well, people can lie about their abuse. Who do you think wants to go out there talking about mm-hmm. I was raped and it's a lie? I don't think that's what people want to do, but I assuming... I think you have to have something really wrong. Right. I would never want to talk about things like that. Even if it happened to me, it's hard enough, let alone make it up. But assuming that there is someone who's motivated to lie... Uh, it it does make it difficult when there are no statute of limitations for someone to say, hey, it didn't happen, or I didn't happen the way they said, or I wasn't even there. Well, remember, just because we're talking about statute of limitations and things like that, doesn't mean we're condoning any of this. I mean, obviously, you have crime no matter what system you put in place. You have people doing wrong things. 
the idea is how do you actually find the ones who are doing the wrong thing and punish them is, is I think the point you're trying to get to. How do we actually make sure? Right. Because I mean, if you look at the list of these, even the, the credible allegations, a lot of these priests might have been dealt with internally before anything really came pushed to shove, so there might not necessarily be a whole lot of evidence out there one way or another. Especially since issue. we wouldn't even know about some of these people if the church hadn't voluntarily come forth and said them. I have it. an issue with these um, dealt with internally. This priest that Connor was talking about, do we know how many times he had been transferred before he ended up at this diocese in this church? He was ordained in 1992. He was transferred about seven times. And he was only supposed to really work at a desk job before he was transferred to my parish. When he was transferred to my parish, it was really the first time he practiced in a Catholic Mass in years. So, to me, if you put someone on desk duty and they're not supposed to, they have already been critical allegations I mean, against this Just person. take the whole church part of it. You're working at a company, you got the guy, why the guy was at his desk? Well, look, we had to promote him, he wasn't really good at his job, so we got to stick him here. I mean, it's already something fishy going on, like you said, the guy keeps getting transferred, he's supposed to work here, but he's really doing this. It makes you, it's just a bunch of stuff there that makes you, like, wonder, like, hey, what's It just going doesn't on here? look good. Yeah, but so to me... That's well, a red not, flag, I think. I think it's more than just it doesn't look good. It's a red flag. So to me, when you say handled internally, you don't handle anything if you just transfer them to put them in new kids. Let's send them to new kids. I didn't say handled well. I just, right, said handled. just handled. <laughs> and there's really no checks and balances in the Catholic Church. They don't have three branches of government. Um, it's it's really just the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, right, like, even when you look at the different regional associations, like, uh, one of these groups wanted to release this list and a uh, list of plans they wanted to do earlier, and the Vatican shut it down. They told them, not they don't want to do it, just to wait. The Vatican's coming out with its own plan. So you see, they kind of, they're kind of all over the place with their response. They don't have, even though they don't have separate, they don't really have one forward response. They're starting to get there, but, you know, how much longer do you really want to wait in something like this? The reality is, um... It's really just a matter of time before Catholic law will allow priests to marry. And I think mm. if well, that ever funny. happens... Do you think so? Well, I think that it should happen. Well, um, they're supposed to be the representation of God on earth, and well, it's, Jesus it's was funny married. He brought that up because um, going out of America for it's an Archbishop Philip Wilson in Australia was mm -hmm. recently found guilty of covering up abuse by another priest whom he was uh, working with, he faced up to two years in prison, and actually certain groups in Australia have recommended to the Vatican that they change the law to allow uh, for voluntary celibacy, so they don't have to be celibate, mm -hmm. to try to avoid this situation to begin with. So it's funny, he said it here, we all kind of laugh, but Australia has actual interest groups arguing that to the, to the Vatican. Here's my issue. I don't think that voluntary celibacy will change this, and this is why. I don't believe that pedophiles are pedophiles because they can't have sex. There are plenty of married pedophiles. There are plenty of very sexually active pedophiles. I think the thing that makes you sexually attracted to children, the one to abuse them in that way, has absolutely nothing to do with your celibacy and everything to do with your psyche. So what I you're saying almost is that the Catholic Church is almost a good hideaway. That's, what, that, that's the point I was about to make. Right. Like, I'm not saying it's going to get rid of it, but let, let's say you are a pedophile. You obviously want to get married to an adult because you're a pedophile. It's, it's a great way to hide it. Well, it's so a, it's a way to hide. Don't bother you. Right. 
Oh, Even now, it's a great way to married. hide it. Right. Especially if you right. think even 50 years ago, you couldn't be gay 50 years ago. Let alone it. You know what I mean? If, if you had these issues, this was how you hide it. And it's still a holdover to that. It's getting better. But so you're, I, I, yeah. off Connor's point, if you were a right. pedophile, then, I mean, where, where, you either hide in the priesthood or, you know, that's be funny, where, what else would you consider for a job? Becoming a teacher. Who else has a sex abuse scandal? You know what I mean? Teachers. Wow. So, I but mean, I, I mean I, if, you're, if you're, you're attracted saying. to children, that might be a good. Well, the, the good thing about the priesthood is that you, no one expects you to be married. So if you're right. not married, then no one says you must be a pedophile. It's a ra- it doesn't you're raise right. a red flag. You know, if you have that guy in your neighborhood who's never married, never dating, I'm not saying he isn't, but people talk about him, whether it's right or wrong, people talk. Meanwhile, ladies, if you're not married, it's not your fault. It's the men. It's always the men. Specifically <laughs> Connor. It's, it's not, specifically it's Connor. It's not Connor. Connor is 26. Connor does not have to be married yet. It's not Connor. Not yet, right? Not yet. You have time. You totally have time. And, and going back to saying Jesus never married. Jesus was 33, apparently, when he went up to heaven. I'm apparently. not going to get married. When he went back to heaven, Connor. When he went back. That's when he went Catholic. back to heaven. <laughs> see, see, Kevin, he went down first, saved everybody, then went back up. The they don't even read their own In the book. beginning was the Word, and but the Word was God, and the Word was with God. I'm just going to go John 1 on you. She gets me. Because we are Protestants. She gets uh. me. <laughs> oh, I don't have a comeback. There are no comebacks uh, for the Catholics. I was looking for a witty one, but I can't find it. He cannot find the wit. The wit is gone. So we are really deep into this topic uh, and a bunch of other things that have absolutely nothing to do with this topic. As often happens. As often happens. But I feel like we really um, have a handle on the pulse point of what people are thinking, at least what we're thinking, which mm-hmm. is... How the heck does this go on for so many years? And what now? Mm-hmm. What now? They, they've well, named the names. Question. What now? How does the Catholic Church make this right, if anything? Can they make it right? Can they make it right? Well, even if they can't, shouldn't they at least try? But how do they start? Like, how do you start making this right? Well, you know, I think, not not given, they got a long way to go. I think just starting even with this, releasing it. Yeah, look, this happened. Mm-hmm. We're sorry. It's not enough. You can't stop there, but that's a good start. Yeah. To acknowledge the problem, acknowledge that you've hurt people, even if it was not on purpose. Now, obviously, the, pre- the priests who were accused of this did what they did on purpose, but not necessarily every priest involved. Right. You know what I mean? And stop with the secrets, because yes. if someone comes to you in confessional, those are secrets. But if someone says, your priest has abused me, that's not a secret. Why you go to the DA's office. You report it to the police, right? Yep. Yep. You don't move people around from parish to parish to parish when they have, as you called it, credible allegations of sexual abuse. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, you said it that way. I'm copying off of you. I know. Because my way would have been like, they some pedophiles. <laughs> I guess they we'll... need to go to jail if they can make it there. Because, you know, my family, I don't, I don't know. What would have happened? They be pedophiles. That can be the subtitle of this this episode. They be pedophiles. Subtitle. They be pedophiles. <laughs> and pedophiles, I don't think fare very well in the prison system. They don't. They actually, they, they usually have them segregated and separated no. for and their protection. For their protection. <laughs> no. Well, it's funny because, and I won't say the colors, but you know, because I spend a lot of time in the prisons uh, locally, and you know, um, when people come to court, even you can see the different the color with the protective clothing is different than people in general population. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even when they're wearing their prison. Totally different protective custody, uh, and you know you can be in protective custody for a couple of different reasons, but we yeah, know. that's the main one. Also, I think that humanity can 
get behind the fact that certain crimes can be crimes for certain reason, but no one likes a pedophile. No, I, I did have... Well, remember, though, you're innocent until proven guilty, and just because someone's accused... I've, I've had some clearly false accusations. I mean, all evidence points to false accusations, so I, I understand. Um, I've also had someone who was accused in a situation that really... You know, the, the child alleged was pretty much the age of consent um, and created some of this media that was on my client's uh, phone on his own. He actually created himself. And it's in all my client using it on my client's yeah, phone, so it was a lot of issues. But I remember when that case was, and that was a federal case. Um, I remember that my client had spoken with some people in the system ahead of time, and they actually developed a story for why he was there um, to kind of protect him from what could happen. Um, and it was something along the lines of he had been involved in some kind of insider trading, you know, money. Sure, scam. some white collar stupid thing no one cares about, right? right. Right. But, but that was how they protected him, so the word would not get out that he was accused of because. If anyone had actually read the actual affidavit or know what, he, what actually the allegations were, they probably wouldn't have been thinking, let's beat him up. But if they heard pedophile... They'd think beat him up. It's such a stigma. It is. I it's mean, and it's interesting because the alleged victim of this case is bigger and looked older than my client, who was also just over the age of consent. Like, was bigger physically, um, taller, had lots of weight on him. Like, my client really could not physically have force the child into anything, but technically speaking, based on their ages, one was over the age of consent, one was under the age of consent. Well, yeah, I mean, there's obviously nuance in any issue. You make a law, there's always going to be people, but I, right. think, I think that's kind of getting away from what we have in this yeah, specific case, Yeah, there's no nuance case, here. There's I no mean, nuance. I, don't, I get what you're saying. I, I don't know if that's really the kind of issue that happened here. No, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> Especially when you read the testimony of some of these cases. It's extremely... <sighs> extremely disturbing. The ones who have been brave enough to speak out in public, and I don't think you should have to do it. I understand that that's awful. But when I've seen people, many of whom are in their 60s or 70s. They're adults. They're, they're, they're real. Right. They're not. They're not. They're it, normal people. Right. It changed their whole life. Their faith. Like my faith is such an intrinsic part of me. And the concept that I could not feel close to God because of something that someone had done, that's so but not Hard. only that, who are you going to talk to about it? You talk to your parents, they're going to tell you to listen to the priest. Mm -hmm. You already have an issue. You know what I mean? It's more than just an issue of losing. It's an issue of losing like trust in general and, and not just religion, but your community. I mean, we could say, oh, you right. want really. It is a community to, to grow up. I mean, I think everybody who's gone to church has probably questioned their faith at some point. That's why Absolutely. you keep going back to church. Yes. Yeah. But it's, it's at the same time. To have something like this, you can't, you know, someone like me, I can't even imagine to have something like this where you can't even go to the authority to talk to them about it. Connor, what about your parish? How did, how did that shake things up there? Church attendance was already not great, mm -hmm. but what a lot of these allegations did, um, especially in the surrounding towns, is it really, like, the families who were going to church stopped going. The families with kids who were in school, that demographic of church attendance significantly decreased. And you have a lot of senior citizens who are over 60 who keep going. But as far as the families, that definitely decreased. But a lot of the court testimonies have come out. And some of the records are extremely disturbing. There was this one case... And it came out in court that while the sexual assault was occurring, mm -hmm. 
the priest told the nine-year-old child that Jesus loves you. Oh! Oh! And when you have families who have kids, they're, they're probably not inclined to go back to church after reading something like that, even if you have nothing to do with that situation. It's not an institution you might want to go to. That's so awful and disgusting. And that poor child... Yeah. Well, I know Jackie could probably speak to this better than we are because she's a mother, but, like, if you have kids, you, you're not like, oh, okay, they might get raped, they might... You're not going to take that chance. Like, I don't I don't care what kind of parent you are. You have, no. to, be, you have to be a nut job to do that. You it's know what I mean? It's not even... It's past the point of worrying, like, oh, my something might happen to my child. It's about going to an institution mm-hmm. that was silent about those occurrences happening when the institution more likely than not knew something was happening and they did nothing about it. I I guess you're right. Um, I'm not even a fan of my kids spending the night over. When they went, I'm like, listen, who lives in the house? Is there a mom and a dad? Are there older brothers? Um, Does the uncle sleep over? Like, who are the people in the house? I don't really want you to spend the night. Can they come here? Uh, I am very particular about where my children go uh, because... You know, one of them, anything can happen. You, you, children can't always defend themselves. One of them, I feel like, is the China child who, if she thought something was not right, she would start swinging immediately and ask questions later. And the other one would be led down the path before she was like, something's not good here, and I didn't before know how to get out of it. Right? And, and that's just who they are, personality-wise. I have the one child who was like, I threw a chair. You know, and I had the other one who was, actually, she said it wasn't a book. It was, it was was a book. It was not a chair. It just so happened, I think the chair fell over. She was three. (laughs) Uh, Someone was picking her sister. She saw it out the window. She threw a fit. The chair fell over. Listen, no, no. She threw a fit in her preschool class, so they would let her go to her sister's class. And when she got to her sister's class, that's when she threw the book at the girl who pushed her sister. And that's how the chair fell. So when they said, I said, Ira, they said you threw a, they said you threw a chair. I not throw a chair. I not throw a chair. I said, are you telling me they lied? I not throw a chair. I throw a book. <laughs> the details are always important. <laughs> details are always important. That was three. At least you raised her honest. That was her at three. <laughs> now at 14, she's, a, she's still a fighter. Now she can still throw. She can actually throw a chair now. She, she could. She I just, I think I just gave scared. Please I think I just gave you nightmares for a month. My child cannot listen to this podcast. My child cannot <laughs> listen to this podcast. We'll rate it R. Quick, say something inappropriate. No, do not say anything inappropriate. No, just a joke. <laughs> Calm down, Connor. Ha, ha, ha. So, all listen, right. we have gone all around this topic. We would love for you to do some things with us. Engage with us. We want to know what you think. Uh, we are attorneys. And we want to know, what do you think about the civil statutes and statute limitations? What do you think about criminal statute limitations? Because there, there's criminal statute limitations as well. Uh, what, just, what do you think about these topics? Are we, are we too soft as a society of pedophiles? Are we too hard? Are we handling it just right? I don't know how you come to that conclusion, but if you have it, come on <laughs> in and let us know. statute of limitations that was written to prevent frivolous claims from coming into court. Is that what it was written for, Connor? I think that was what it was written for. I, I, Connor always trying to come here with some old, you know... We get it. You're smarter than us. <laughs> Look, at, I, I actually have researched this, and I know exactly when this was enacted in 1835. <laughs> Ooh, I'm Connor, a lawyer. I read laws. <laughs> <laughs> Connor is a real lawyer. You know, I am a real boy, trying every real day. Boy. Every day. I'm so, just a part-time. <laughs> but you're still a real lawyer. 
part-time. <laughs> and I take the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do us a favor. Like our podcast. Choose it on your best podcasting platform. You can also go to our uh, Jones World. What are we? At? Our, our Jones and Associates. We have a Facebook. We have a Twitter that I hardly ever use. We have so many things. Instagram and An our YouTube website. channel. All oh, right. Yeah, MichesterLawyer.com. I forgot uh, about that. An actual website. We don't put. We should put this stuff on the website. We should. Who has time for that? We need no, an intern. We totally need an intern. <laughs> so like, share, subscribe. Send us, and I know because since we're using Anchor Podcast right now, you can actually send us your questions and interact with us so that we can answer them on the next podcast. So, for Jonesing for Justice, I'm Jackie Jones. I'm Connor Wigginton. Dan DeChino. And thank you for joining us. Have a great, great day. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. No, forget them. Bye.